0: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. Today's story, David Swan, by Nathaniel Hawthorne, teaches us that life is a matter of choice and chance, and to save your sleep for the evening hours. And now our story. We can be but partially acquainted, even with the events which actually influence our course through life and our final destiny. There are innumerable other events, If such they may be called, which come close upon us, yet pass away without actual results, or even betraying their near approach, by the reflection of any light or shadow across our minds, could we know all the vicissitudes of our fortunes? Life would be too full of hope and fear, exultation or disappointment, to afford us a single hour of true serenity. This idea may be illustrated by a page from the Secret History of David Swan. We have nothing to do with David until we find him, at the age of twenty, on the high road from his native place to the city of Boston, where his uncle, a small dealer in the grocery line, was to take him behind the counter. Be it enough to say that he was a native of New Hampshire, both of respectable parents, and had received an ordinary school education, with a classic finish by a year at Gilmanton Academy. After journeying on foot from sunrise till nearly noon of a summer's day, his weariness and the increasing heat determined him to sit down in the first convenient shade and await the coming up of the stagecoach. As if planted on purpose for him, there soon appeared a little tuft of maples, with a delightful recess in the midst, and such a fresh bubbling spring that it seemed never to have sparkled for any wayfarer but David wand virgin or not, he kissed it with his thirsty lips, and then flung himself along the brink, pillowing his head upon some shirts and a pair of pantaloons, tied up in a striped cotton handkerchief. The sunbeams could not reach him. The dust did not yet rise from the road after the heavy rain of yesterday, and his grassy lair suited the young man better than a bed of down. The spring murmured drowsily beside him. The branches waved dreamily across the blue sky overhead and a deep sleep, perchance hiding dreams within its depths, fell upon David Swan. But we are to relate events which he did not dream of. While he lay sound asleep in the shade, other people were wide awake, and passed to and fro, afoot, on horseback, and in all sorts of vehicles, along the sunny road by his bedchamber. Some looked neither to the right hand nor the left, and knew not that he was there. Some merely glanced that way, without admitting the slumber among their busy thoughts. Some laughed to see how soundly he slept, and several, whose hearts were brimming full of scorn, ejected their venomous superfluity on David Swan. A middle-aged widow, when nobody else was near, thrust her head a little way into the recess, and vowed that the young fellow looked charming in his sleep. A temperance lecturer saw him and wrought poor David into the texture of his evening's discourse as an awful instance of dead drunkenness by the roadside. But censure, praise, merriment, scorn, and indifference were all one, or rather, all nothing, to David Swan. He had slept only a few moments when a brown carriage, drawn by a handsome pair of horses, bowled easily along, and was brought to a standstill nearly in front of David's resting place a linchpin had fallen out, and permitted one of the wheels to slide off. The damage was slight, and occasioned merely a momentary alarm to an elderly merchant and his wife, who were returning to Boston in the carriage. While the coachman and a servant were replacing the wheel, the lady and gentleman sheltered themselves beneath the maple trees, and there espied the bubbling fountain, and David Swan asleep beside it. Impressed with the awe which the humblest sleep usually sheds around him, the merchant trod as lightly as the gout would allow, and his spouse took good heed not to rustle her silk gown, lest David should start up all of a sudden. "'How soundly he sleeps!' whispered the old gentleman. "'From what a depth he draws that easy breath! Such sleep as that, bought on without an opiate, would be worth more to me than half my income!' where it would suppose health and an untroubled mind. "'And youth besides,' said the lady. "'Healthy and quiet age does not sleep thus. Our slumber is no more like his than our wakefulness.' The longer they looked, the more did this elderly couple feel interested in the unknown youth, to whom the wayside and the maple shade were as a secret chamber, with the rich gloom of damask curtains brooding over him. Perceiving that a stray sunbeam glimmered down upon his face, the lady contrived to twist a branch aside, so as to intercept it. And having done this little act of kindness, she began to feel like a mother to him. "'Providence seems to have laid him here,' whispered she to her husband, "'and to have brought us hither to find him, after our disappointment in our cousin's son. "'Bethinks I can see a likeness to our departed Henry.' "'Shall we waken him?' "'To what purpose?' said the merchant. "'Hesitating, we know nothing of the youth's character.' "'That open countenance,' replied his wife, in the same hushed voice, yet earnestly. "'This innocent sleep!' While these whispers were passing, the sleeper's heart did not throb, nor his breath become agitated, nor his features betray the least token of interest. Yet fortune was bending over him, just ready to fall a burden of gold.' THE OLD MERCHANT HAD LOST HIS ONLY SON, AND HAD NO HEIR TO HIS WEALTH EXCEPT A DISTANT RELATIVE, WITH WHOSE CONDUCT HE WAS DISSATISFIED. IN SUCH CASES, PEOPLE DO STRANGER THINGS THAN TO ACT THE MAGICIAN, AND AWAKEN A YOUNG MAN TO SPLENDOR, WHO FELL ASLEEP IN POVERTY. SHALL WE NOT WAKEN HIM? REPEATED THE LADY, PERSUASIVELY. THE COACH IS READY, SIR, SAID THE SERVANT, BEHIND. THE OLD COUPLE STARTED, REDDENED, AND HURRIED AWAY. "'mutually wondering that they should ever have dreamed of doing anything so very ridiculous. "'The merchant threw himself back in the carriage "'and occupied his mind with the plan of a magnificent asylum for unfortunate men of business. "'Meanwhile, David Swan enjoyed his nap. "'We'll return with our story right after these sponsor messages. "'Hi, everyone. The holiday season is upon us, "'and I'll be glued to the telly for BritBox on many a night.' Got your happy price, price line. And now back to David Swan by Nathaniel Hawthorne. The carriage could not have gone above a mile or two when a pretty young girl came along with a tripping pace which showed precisely how her little heart was dancing in her bosom. Perhaps it was this merry kind of motion that caused... Was there any harm in saying it? Her garter to slip its knot. Conscious that the silken girth if silk it were, was relaxing its hold. She turned aside to the shelter of the maple trees, and there found a young man asleep by the spring. Blushing as red as any rose that she should have intruded into a gentleman's bedchamber, and for such a purpose, too. She was about to make her escape on tiptoe, but there was peril near the sleeper. A monster of a bee had been wandering overhead. Buzz, buzz, buzz. Now among the leaves... Now flashing through the strips of sunshine, and now lost in the dark shade, till finally he appeared to be settling on the eyelid of David Swan. The sting of a bee can be deadly. As free-hearted as she was innocent, the girl attacked the intruder with her handkerchief, brushed him soundly, and drove him from beneath the maple shade. How sweet a picture! This good deed accomplished with quickened breath and a deeper blush she stole a glance at the youthful stranger for whom she had been battling with a dragon in the air. "'He is handsome,' thought she, and blushed redder yet. "'How could it be that no dream of bliss grew so strong within him that, shattered by its very strength, it should part asunder under, and allow him to perceive the girl among its phantoms? Why, at least, did no smile of welcome brighten upon his face? "'She was come,' The maid whose soul, according to the old and beautiful idea, had been severed from his own, and whom, in all his vague but passionate desires, he yearned to meet. Her only could he love with a perfect love. Him only could she receive into the depths of her heart. And now her image was faintly blushing in the fountain, by his side. Should it pass away, its happy luster would never gleam upon his life again." "'How sound he sleeps!' murmured the girl. She departed, but did not trip along the road so lightly as when she came. Now, this girl's father was a thriving country merchant in the neighborhood, and happened, at that identical time, to be looking out for just such a young man as David Swan. Had David formed a wayside acquaintance with the daughter, he would have become the father's clerk, and all else in natural succession.' So here again had good fortune, the best of fortunes, stolen so near that her garments brushed against him, and he knew nothing of the matter. The girl was hardly out of sight when two men turned aside beneath the maple-shade. Both had dark faces set off by cloth caps which were drawn down a slant over their brows. Their dress was shabby. It had a certain smartness, these were a couple of rascals who got their living by whatever the devil sent them, and now, in the interim of other business, had staked the joint profits of their next piece of villainy on a game of cards, which was to have been decided here under the trees. But, finding David asleep by the spring, one of the rogues whispered to his fellow, You see that bundle under his head?' The other villain nodded, winked, and leered I'll bet you a horn of brandy, said the first, that the chap has either a pocketbook or a snug little hoard of small change stowed away amongst his shirts, and if not there, we shall find it in his pantaloons pocket. But how if he wakes? said the other. His companion thrust aside his, his waistcoat, pointed to the handle of a dirk, and nodded. So be it, muttered the second villain. They approached the unconscious David, and, while one pointed the dagger towards his heart, the other began to search the bundle beneath his head. Their two faces, grim, wrinkled, and ghastly with guilt and fear, bent over their victim, looking horrible enough to be mistaken for fiends, should he suddenly awake. Nay, had the villains glanced aside into the spring, even they would hardly have known themselves as reflected there but David Swan had never mourned a more tranquil aspect, even when asleep on his mother's breast. "'I must take away the bundle,' whispered one. "'If he stirs, I'll strike,' muttered the other. But at this moment a dog scenting along the ground came in beneath the maple trees and gazed alternately at each of these wicked men, and then at the quiet sleeper. He then lapped out of the fountain. Pshaw! said the villain. We can do nothing now. The dog's master must be close behind. Let's get a drink and take off, said the other. The man with the dagger thrust back the weapon into his bosom and drew forth a pocket pistol, but not of that kind which kills by a single discharge. It was a flask of liquor with a block-in tumbler screwed upon the mouth. Each drank a comfortable dram and left the spot with so many jests and such laughter at their unaccomplished wickedness that they might be said to have gone on their way rejoicing. In a few hours they had forgotten the whole affair, nor once imagined that the recording angel had written down the crime of murder against their souls in letters as durable as eternity. As for David Swan, he still slept quietly, neither conscious of the shadow of death when it hung over him, nor the glow of renewed life when that shadow was withdrawn. He slept, but no longer so quietly as at first. An hour's repose had snatched from his elastic frame the weariness with which many hours of toll had burdened it. Now he stirred, now moved his lips, without a sound, now talked, in an inward tone, to the noonday specters of his dream. But a noise of wheels came rattling louder and louder along the road, until it dashed through the dispersing mist of David's slumber. And there was the stagecoach. He started up with all his ideas about him, "'Hello, driver! "'Take a passenger?' shouted he. "'Room on top!' answered the driver. Up mounted David, and bowled away merrily towards Boston, without so much as a parting glance at that fountain of dreamlike vicissitude. He knew not that a phantom of wealth had thrown a golden hue upon its waters, nor that one of love had sighed softly to their murmur, nor that one of death had threatened to crimson him with his blood. All... In the brief hour since he lay down to sleep. Sleeping or waking, we hear not the airy footsteps of the strange things that almost happen. Does it not argue a superintending providence that, while viewless and unexpected events thrust themselves continually athwart our path, there should still be regularity enough in mortal life to render foresight even partially available? Thanks for joining us for David Swan by Nathaniel Hawthorne at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and as most of you know, we really appreciate reviews. We have some mixed reviews for you. The first, Love this podcast, 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales, five stars. I love this podcast. It's like story time for grown ups. The reader is excellent. I only wish he could do newer stories as well but I understand copyright is a real issue. But I enjoy the classics and other stories I never knew. Thanks so much. That one from M. Mad Zix, Apple Podcast, U.S. And this one, Variety of Great Literature Narrated, 1001 Stories for the Road, five stars. I like this podcast due to the variety of literature narrated and provided in short sections I can listen to while cleaning or commuting. From science fiction to historical fiction to classic mysteries, the narrator gives a variety of stories. He also gives a little summary of the previous action for longer titles to help listeners. Very thoughtful. It's also a very kid-friendly selection with no sex, drugs, or gratuitous violence. Down from Katie Girl, Apple Podcast U.S. And Katie Girl, thank you so much for sending us that review. Right now at 1001 Stories for the Road, we have Agatha Christie's The Murder of Roger Ackroyd. Doing extremely well there. And this one, Great Pod, 1001 Sherlock Holmes stories and the best of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Five stars, my go-to pod for driving. Wonderful narration. That one from J.J. J. Knoll, Apple Podcast, U.S. And this one, the two Blackbeard episodes were entrancing. 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries podcast. Five stars. Your interview with the author brought my interest to bear. Thank you. That one from Don Thun, Apple Podcast, U.S. And this one, 1001 Stories of the Old West. Five stars. Awesome. Look forward to each Sunday episode. Great podcast. Thank you. Down from Guitar, Apple Podcast, U.S. And we'll come full circle to 1001 Classic Short Stories with a mother of five, five stars. Bret Hart is becoming one of my favorite authors. Thank you, John, for introducing him to me. And thank you for your wonderful delivery of these stories. Down from Dan in Utah, Apple Podcast, U.S. And one more, 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. Great reading and story of Gallagher. Five stars. I like your storytelling style, John, and the stories you tell. I listen to them while I'm on a walk, cooking, etc. Thank you. Down from D-O-N-T, Apple Podcast U.S. Thank you very much, everyone, for sending us these reviews. They are greatly, greatly appreciated. As you know, we're bringing short stories now every Wednesday and Sunday. Wednesdays at 5 p.m., And on Sundays at 12 p.m. noon Eastern Time, we're trying to bring a lot of our shows a little earlier on Sundays to give you a little more of the weekend to have time to listen to our new releases. Thank you so much, everyone. We appreciate your support. Stay safe, and we'll be back with a new selection before you know it.